Hello, and welcome to Execute Chapter 66, a Star Wars fiction podcast where we discuss canon, legends, and beyond. This week, we will be discussing the final book of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. I know that some of us are very, very excited to talk about this, so prepare for a hot hour of all schweck action. My name is Beth Van Dusen, and of course... Obviously, Ryan Schweck is here, and also Chad J. Shonk. Over to you, Chad. This is your reminder that this is a book club and not a review show. We are going to be spoiling this book, which is pretty new. So, you know, just to warn you there. We also may talk about anything else Star Wars, including television, movies, other books, other comics, uh, the rest of the books in this series, obviously. Uh, So if you care about any of that, you've been warned. Ryan, before we get you uh, going on this book, why don't we uh, talk? Why don't we? Why don't we talk about the news? Over in publishing news, Del Rey has announced they're going to start doing what they're calling essential legends: new copies of books with fancy new covers and logoing. They're going to start with Air to the Empire and Shatterpoint, Dark Bay, and they look really nice. You know, I think it's a good way to get some of this stuff back out. People kind of worried once we moved into new canon that the old EU is going to be thrown away. And it's nice to see they're putting a little effort into it. Have you all seen those covers yet? I have. I have. They look nice. Shatterpoint? Really? The ongoing rumor is some of the Shatterpoint stuff is going to be pulled into one of the shows somehow. And so they're trying to push that Mm. book back out. Because it's just, I was like, Heir to the Empire, of course. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, like, Darth Bane, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, and then it was like Shatterpoint. And I was like, okay, I'm here. I remember that being okay. People forget, though, there was, before there was a Clone Wars show, there was like five or six Clone Wars novels right. that they released in Legends that, that were supposed to kind of cover that gap there. And that was the first one. Right. Ending, ending with Labyrinth of Evil, the Lucino book. Yeah, there's that whole little initiative they did with those books, yeah. you know, the cartoon and then comics that came out the same time. You know, it's kind of like they were doing the New Republic, Shadows of the Empire thing for Clone. There were like two paperbacks that were like basically MASH in oh, Star yeah. Wars. They were like, you know, like medics and, and stuff. And uh, there was the Yoda Dark Rendezvous, which sounds sexier than it is. I was going to say I haven't read that, but it sounds sexy and I don't know if I'm into that. <laughs> It's actually really funny, but it's about Yoda and Dooku, and it, it reminds, it's actually like kind of Harry Potter-ish. Um, it's a lot about kind of the young kids that Yoda teaches. I mean, it is wizard school. It's just space wizard school. Our next one, they have Kevion Scott. They're going to do Tempest Runner, which is an audio drama on about Lorna D. So they're you know still pushing High Republic, which I think is good. It's going to come out this summer, so there's going to be lots of High Republic stuff this summer. But probably the biggest publishing news is... They also announced that the third Thrawn Ascendancy book, which we now call Lesser Evil, is going to be out on November 17th, six months from Chaos Rising. And now Chaos Rising is the first one. Second one is... Greater Good. Greater Good, yeah. So Greater Good than Lesser Evil. Ah, they're probably still not going to do any stupid blue pages, but... I hate to say this, I canceled my hardback and uh, ordered the Kindle version instead. Yeah, without the pages, it's not as exciting. I like the titles, though. Lesser Evil, I'm assuming, refers to uh, the Empire. 
Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. And I bet the greater of the lesser evil is going to be the stupid Grisk. Grisk. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray, the Grisk are back. We'll find out if it's the Grisk in this next book. We'll find we'll find we'll find out in like a week or two. Yeah, very soon. Over on the Disney Plus side of things, there's been a couple of releases and then rumors. Last week saw, you know, that what I don't exactly know what the book is, but that Skywalker Family at War book which is like a history of the Skywalker family. I haven't really looked at it. But one thing that people have picked up on is that it confirms 10 years after Revenge of the Sith, Qui-Gon could appear to Obi-Wan in a physical form. So, you know, previously we have only heard that Qui-Gon appeared as a voice and that they could talk to each other, but he was never a real Force ghost. Now we know that Qui-Gon can. He does have a particular set of skills. He does. (laughs) The significance of it is, is that 10 years recently, the Obi-Wan show update has gone from eight years to 10 years. And so, you know, nothing in Star Wars is a coincidence. Yeah. So we might be seeing Liam come on back. I'm going to I'm going to rip off somebody's Twitter joke where they said, can't we just let Qui-Gon's be bygones? <laughs> but um, bump. apologies to whoever's joke that was. I mean, I would much rather see like that scene from the Obi-Wan book where somebody like spies on him. It looks like he's just sitting there talking to himself. That is much more entertaining. <laughs> I'd rather see Liam Neeson than Hayden Christensen. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see him having a conversation with dead Qui-Gon doesn't change anything. Right. Him actually encountering a living Vader, I have a, that, that's that's going to throw a wrench into a lot of things that I'm not sure I'm ready for. It's going to be, I don't know. It would be safer if it was Qui-Gon. <laughs> that's true. Our other Disney Plus news, uh, the Vintage Collection has started. They just named it. And so that's our Disney Plus area where they have released some, oh, not the best of Star Wars by any means. <laughs> Shut your damn full mouth. <laughs> I liked that first Clone Wars series until oh. the new Clone Wars series came out. Yeah, the first Clone Wars series, that is good. I'm talking more about the Ewok movie and the Caravan of Courage. Chad can have all the Caravan of Courage to himself. And I will. <laughs> I haven't checked yet. Are they in HD? I haven't checked. I just saw that they were on there. I didn't look at them. If the Ewok movies are in HD, I'll definitely watch them again. Oh, I'm totally going to rewatch them because it's been forever since I've seen them, but... I, yeah, I'm not sure if they're in HD or not. I've seen the Ewok movies a lot. The reason is that when we were kids, there were exactly five things Star Wars. Yep. There were three, the three movies, and there were the two Ewok movies. And while they sucked, they were Star Wars. <laughs> and so I watched them a lot. I have seen those a lot. And then the other big one, of course, is the story of the faithful Wookiee. <laughs> the cartoon <laughs> from the Star Wars Christmas special. <sighs> it's the best part of it. That's saying so much. Yeah. Here's what I'll say about that, though. It is a an animated short. It is a cartoon where all of the original actors are doing the voices, which is not something you've ever seen. Yeah. It's the only time that like you have Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher all playing. It's 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 them playing those characters in animated form. That's to me. That's the cool part about it. I feel like Disney had a meeting and they were like, look, Book of Boba Fett's not coming out for a year. What do we got we can put up? And somebody was like, well, I got this one thing. What do you think about Boba Fett and a dinosaur? (laughs) 
<laughs> I haven't checked it out yet. I probably should have. Those master tapes don't exist. So I want to know what source they used to create that cartoon and how much they did to restore it. They probably went to a convention and went to the ripoff DVD table. And- did what we did. <laughs> yeah. Did what we did back in the 90s. Go to a con and buy a VHS. You got that thing with Lumpy on it? Let me see. Well, well that's what I'm wondering, though, is like, but they're not going to release something that quality on there. So they had to have done some remastering or tinkering to it of some sort. Well, yeah, because even the quality of the stuff you could buy even when it was supposedly the best quality was rough. Well, it's because Lucas destroyed the master tapes because he knew every single copy that anybody has is from people who either recorded it off television, who were lucky enough to have, you know, big ass Betamaxes back in 1978, or like maybe some people who ripped it off when they worked at TV stations and stuff. There is no master for them to go back to. I'm going to log in as we're talking, and I just want to look and see what the quality on this thing is. Let's see. Oh, they don't put it front and center. That's for sure. <laughs> I tell you what, this looks pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's it's in 4.3. It's not... Well, yeah, it should be, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't look like a rip. Well, I mean, they would have had to have done some work on it. Yeah. They've definitely... Ah, uh, there's Boba Fett. I'm not streaming a, a VHS copy, damn it. There's Boba Fett with his uh, giant blaster that they later gave to the Mandalorian. And I loved when they did the uh, the interview with George Lucas and, and it was Dave Filoni or John Favreau. One of them was like, yeah, that's that gun from the holiday special. And George Lucas was like, uh, okay. Because <laughs> he had nothing. He had very <laughs> little to do with that. That was written by Bruce Valanche. The holiday special. He was one of the writers, the guy that used to write jokes for the Oscars. Yeah, that explains wow. a lot. They knew nothing about I don't even think they had seen Star Wars. Uh, Caravan of Courage, also in 4-3. That's the way it was shot. So, you know, I don't it, it need the Ewoks be. in full screen. It's fine. Um, the last thing I want to talk about just for a minute and don't want to get into it really big, but I think just for what we talk about and the site that we use a lot is all the controversy that has been going on over the last couple of weeks at Wikipedia. What? Not what controversy. Have y'all been following this? No. No. So, Wikipedia, and really all, you know, that whole, all the little pedias, there's a bunch of them on there, are run by fandom, yep. which is the company. The way that they set up the pedias is that major board rules are done by vote. And so... When they decide to change something, they put it up as this vote on the board, and then that's how they change it. Well, what happened was a Star Wars writer named um, Robin Bronovost, they wrote Castaway of Endor, worked for Star Wars Kids, worked on the uh, visual guide for episode one. Robin's dead name was posted as the author for those things on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. And the Wikipedia current rules was that whatever you wrote it under, that is the name that was attributed on Wikipedia. So rather than a thoughtful, hey, let's talk about what we're going to do and make a change, Wikipedia followed their board rules and just put it up for a vote. And from there, things got nasty. Wikipedia didn't answer to like media requests for what was happening for several weeks and then in the end fandom came out and actually has banned two of the high level admins of wikipedia they are changing their regulations for how rules are changed on the fandom sites it got really nasty and just shows how toxic the fandom and i I don't generally don't like that toxic fandom language like even the term but this this was it 
Yeah. It was rough. I was glad to see they did the right thing. But yeah, Wikipedia, it was funny to see like on, you know, national news (laughs) websites, Wikipedia. And you're like, that can't go away or I can't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, if fandom shut down, I would lose both uh, Wikipedia and the Muppet Wiki. And if I didn't have the Muppet Wiki and Wikipedia, I would not have podcasts. Yeah. Do you know how much research it would be to like do this crap if we had to actually sit down with books and look everything up? Oh, my God. They remember all the stuff we don't. They don't remember it. They write it down. Yeah. (laughs) So do you think I write my chronology of the ancient Star Wars world without checking Wikipedia? Well, moving on from news, let me pull up my Wikipedia site. And uh, (laughs) we're going to move on. So in thinking about this week's book, and obviously we've, we've kind of already talked about it, how excited I am about it and how this is exactly the kind of Star Wars stories I want. We've kind of talked about it before here and there throughout episodes, but I kind of wanted to talk to what we look for and what you consider like a good Star Wars book. Like, what do you need to say, this is amazing, whether it's mythology, Sith, you know, war, little character moments, whatever it is that you look for that you want to see. Chad, what do you think? I mean, I have a few kind of like keywords that come to mind. Mm -hmm. I want something that's fluent in Star Wars. Like feels like it takes place in the galaxy that I know. I want it's corny as shit, but I want hope. I don't necessarily want it to just be all bleak and dark with no. I I want that sense that like things can get better. I want heroism. I want history. I want lore. Every time I read something Star Wars, I want to add something new to my encyclopedic knowledge of the place. Fine. I want to learn something new. And this is the one that's going to rub up against you. I kind of think I need the Force. Like I kind of think I need. A little bit of mysticism, a little bit of magic, a little bit of the force for me personally, for me to get super invested. I really like this book, but I get way more into the books that have Jedi in them. And I don't know why that is, but that's just the case. At the end of the day, I like I need good guys and I need heroics and I need. Um, so, yeah, I want hope. I want heroism. Uh, I want a little bit of a history lesson. And as I was thinking about it, I realized, yeah, I kind of I kind of want Jedi, too. Yeah. That's what do you think? Well, this is not book specific because this is all Star Wars encompassing for me, but I need the intimate moments Mm -hmm. because it's already an epic space opera and I expect action. There's got to be action, but it's those little emotional capsule moments that sell your story, that sell me on the characters that make me care about them. It's all the way back to I love you, I know. Obi-Wan telling Satine he would have left the order for her right before she dies. Sheev and all his sneaky side eye at Anakin. The biggest one that's standing out for me right now, because we're about to talk about it, is Kairos at the end of this book. Yeah. Not to spoil anything for you, but that hit me hard. I need an emotional connection to the characters that are flying the spaceships in my epic space op. Yeah, one word I always think of, and when I think of my favorite scenes in Star Wars and the things I really like is, I always like when there's like a little bit of, I guess, melancholy. You know, my favorite scenes in the original trilogy is Luke when the suns are setting on Tatooine and there's kind of like a sadness there. And then in Return of the Jedi, when 
he's having the funeral pyro for Vader. Spoilers, we're going to talk about that later. Yes, we are. Yeah, he's we are. In this book. <laughs> someone is not a fan of it. Someone else is a huge fan of and it. And someone else yeah. agrees yeah. with Shrek. Yeah, I like those little character moments like that. I like the average person or the average people that are caught up in this huge galactic scale things that go on. I like the Jedi, and I like it when it's, here are all these normal people, you know, fighting a war, trying to do the right thing, and then all of a sudden there's a dude with a laser sword who can throw you against the wall. I like it more when there's not a whole lot of Jedi, and it, exper- it there's like awe about it. There's this one special person, if that makes sense. To me, I think that like the Force is what makes Star Wars different from just Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. I-, I need to feel its presence you know, and, and they usually they do. And I know, and, I, and I'm with you, uh, wanting to see things that don't have lightsabers in them. But without them, it could be anywhere else. So, like, I, I kind of feel like I at least need a little bit of a uh, connection to that. I agree with Beth. Like, yeah, of course, I want emotional moments. But more than that, actually, though, I want I want to learn something. I want another piece of the puzzle that is this galaxy kind of put in for me that I can kind of to help me understand everything else. Mm-hmm. My personal quest, I guess, is like for like a holistic view of what Star Wars is and of what the story is. And so I'm kind of looking for things like that. Yeah, I definitely agree with like things kind of click together in the story. And we'll talk yeah. about that in this one where you felt how this story clicked into the other books. It was extremely satisfying. Chad, the force is always there. If you can't feel it <laughs> without being told it's there, that that may be something on you. <laughs> But I'm going to the, the other Thoyor tomorrow, and I'm sure I'll figure it out by tomorrow. <laughs> You're going to have to go sit on Bogan. There is no such thing as like feeling like Star Wars to me at the end of the day. You can tell any kind of story you want. You can tell any genre. It can look however you want it to look. It can sound however you want it to sound. There's just a spirit that I think sometimes is missing that I don't even know that Lucas had in everything. Mm-hmm. I want heart. Maybe I don't want the little boy with his force broom at the end of Last Jedi. Nobody wanted that. But I want a feeling akin to that, though. Yeah. When we talked about Mandalorian, when I had my hissy fit about the sequel trilogy, because the sequel trilogy took that away from me. That's something I really need to enjoy a Star Wars story, is that, like, good guys will eventually prevail, because in real life, that doesn't happen. And uh, that's why I'm reading a fantasy book. Do you need a giant planet-killing laser, though? Because a lot of people think that's what we need. I do not. No, I need a I need a planet with a planet killing laser. I think Beth had a good point though as far as uh, differentiating because I think what makes a successful Star Wars book is very different from what makes a successful Star Wars movie, which is very different from what makes a successful Star Wars television show because the movies can't be that super deep. Mm-hmm. If you went to a Star Wars movie a movie and there was no spectacle whatsoever, I think even we'd be bummed out. There are things that have to happen on the big screen. I don't know. I want the I want the nitty-gritty. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I want the details. I am dying for them to bring Darth Bane back in to continuity. I'm dying for them to talk about the great Sith Wars. Like, I want to know all that stuff. Well, the big battle that happens in this book, I think I can only picture in my head really well because it's a place I've seen because it's not necessarily a well-built world because it takes place on a bunch of different worlds and aren't all very fleshed out physically in a way that I can imagine them. And for a book to be successful with something like that, I need it to, if it's going to be a really good, well done action scene, I need it to be something I can picture. Otherwise, I would just go watch a movie or a TV show or even read a comic. It's like porn. You know, you know it when you see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. As someone who likes The Last Jedi, I will say it doesn't feel quite right. 
to me. I watch that movie and I go, listen, I enjoy a lot of this and I just enjoy Star Wars. But it doesn't feel quite right, you know, and, and I can't even necessarily give you tangible reasons why. I do want, if you tell me someone's a spice runner, to show me some spice. <laughs> what I am looking for, sadly, is um, validation for the brain cells that I use up on this bullshit. <laughs> that is 100% accurate. If they all of a sudden counteract something that I've known since I was five or <laughs> erase something that I've considered fact for the last few years, then I get I get a little prickly. I could have learned Spanish, damn it. <laughs> All right, listeners. This week, we're going to do something a little different. <laughs> normally. Brian's going off the cuff. <laughs> normally, we have a nice, you know, written out synopsis of the book. And tonight, I'm just going to tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent story. So this week, we are talking about in the third book of the Alphabet Squadron, we learn that victory has a price. And that price is crippling space PTSD. When we first start, none of our heroes are in a great place. Will is struggling with being a leader and balancing that he just wants to go home. And also, he has received his knowledge that the other 119 people that left his planet have all gone home but him. And he's also struggling with his relationship with Nath after what happened on Tron. Nath is still trying to figure out if he can fill this hero role or he just wants to get paid and leave and when enough is enough. Chas follows about like we thought she would, where she is brainwashed still by Mushroom Lady. And instead of listening to her old music across the headphones in her B-Wing, she now listens to droning on from her cult leader Kind of like when a vegan tells you too much about what they eat and nobody wants to hear it. <laughs> They're all riding aboard their new Star Destroyer with Hera, who's also not doing real well, trying to figure out what their mission is and if she can lead like this. Also on the Star Destroyer is some chick with red hair or orange hair and a cybernetic eye. Just remember her. She's going to come back later. <laughs> they also not too subtly point her out 50,000 times in this book. So our heroes are trying to figure out how they're going to find the Shadow Wing, and they start getting signals from where they might be. It doesn't take much to figure out who it is. Old Yurika has not defected all the way back to the Empire, and she's sending our heroes locations to where they are. However, at the same time, she's also struggling with you know, after she talks to Soren a lot, this mission Soren has to save everybody and kind of get them out of this. So what they are currently doing is the old messenger droid, the Sentinel, has woken back up and he has started Operation Cinder 2, Cinder Harder. <laughs> this time, we're not just blowing up all the planets. We're going in and wrecking planets ecologically, just whatever you got. And not just Rebellion and Republic planets, but anybody from the ex-Empire who aren't getting in line. She's sending the message back and we get a nice kind of chase scene that really nicely mirrors the first book. Where we had before, you know, two of Hort's coming after them. This time we're going the other way and they're jumping. At one point during this chase, Yurika accidentally shoots the messenger droid and blows him up. Puts a big hole in his chest. So they try to hide it, and 
they decide they're going to try to, first they try to put it back together, and that's obviously not working. They get to the final, she destroys the little, she sends one last signal out, and they meet on a planet that, you know, may not be the best place to live. Um, in the, I think it's Shadowa. And on this planet, it just randomly shoots out radiation. And it has these big rings that help control the tide and kind of control it. So, all our heroes show up. Oh, I forgot about Kairos. Kairos, <laughs> she now talks, and it's real creepy. She just kind of whispers, and I kind of just imagine her being like, that's not okay, and just stands in the background. So, we jump to our radiation planet, where an ex-Imperial is about to get Operation Cinder. When they get there, Yurika immediately jumps, and Kairos and uh, Chas follow her, leaving them behind in the battle. So we get a nice battle over this planet, and the radiation, you have to time how you get to the planet because it has tides, and it goes on and on and on. Will, towards the end of the battle, decides he's just going to one-on-one with Soren, which is a terrible idea. But he gets shot and gets hurt. But while this is happening, Yurka has run to a planet that is apparently run by droids who are like enslaving humans. And they don't really talk about this a lot, which is weird. It's just kind of, hey, here's a planet that is run by the droids. So she takes the messenger droid to these guys who are going to put it back together and pull its memory core out so they know what the messenger droid is for. And it's real creepy. The head comes out from behind a blanket and kind of waves around and talks to her. And so our heroes, Chas and Kairos, find her and shoot a bunch of her friends. Um, She gets back... Uh, Yurika does. She gets back the memory droid and they talk about it. And so it turns out this thing is not like a droid droid. It apparently is just fueled on hate and its job is just to hate stuff and give out orders. And so she gets that, but she's captured by Chas and Kairos and there's a battle with some of the droids and they try to escape on the U-Wing, but its navigation is damaged. And so Kairos stares at the stars for a while and then just goes, I got this, and just hits the button, which goes against everything we know about hyperspace. But that's all right. Is it? We'll talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) So Kairos, we get to her homeworld, where we learn that the armor she was wearing was actually to protect her from getting exposed to anyone else, because Kairos' people are apparently hugely racist. And if you touch them or get the get near them, you get tainted. And so we learned that Kairos's the Empire came to her world and she was a leader that was supposed to go and parlay with them. And being the Empire, they said, nope, and captured her. And so that's kind of how she got with Aiden and Ito back in the last book. Oh, we got to rewind real fast. I forgot some important information. <laughs> Admiral Sloan is not in this book. <laughs> Admiral Sloan is currently on Jakku with Nora and all them in the Aftermath books. Also, that sweet Sith starship is not in this book for some reason. Okay, so yeah. we're on the planet. We're on Karis' homeworld. Karis' people, who are like these creeps in the woods, keep getting closer and closer, and they're like, we got to get out of here. So they fake an explosion, and they get the parts they need from the Imperial uh, base and they take it back, and they fix her U-Wing. During this time, there's lots of passive-aggressive statements from Chaz. Nobody trusts Erica. For some reason, she doesn't just decide to tell him right then, like, yeah, I'm totally one sending these signals. 
She's playing it close to the chest, which is not a really good idea. Back on old radiation planet, Will Soren takes him down. They get Will back and are 204th on their crappy frigate. Jump away and they're going to because we're getting ready for the big final battle. Before they jump, though, we learn that Eureka transmitted the messenger droid's memory core. So now we know what it knows. And so what it turns out is... Old Sheev, all those people we've been reading about, these middle management bureaucrats for the Empire, he's been collecting all the info on them. And so he has a huge database that's stored underneath Coruscant that has every bad thing every middle management person has been doing and everybody in the Empire. And so what Soren and Yurika and all them are worried about is Republic Justice. I hope you like the word Republic Justice because it says it about 50 times in this book. <laughs> so we get back, Yurika, Chas, and Kairos go back to the Star Destroyer. They pick up Chas's B-Wing on the way, which is just like a sentence. So they left the droid planet and all the droids are like hunting for him and shooting them. And then they show back in the B-Wing and they're like, yeah, we stopped by real fast and picked it up. And just totally gloss over that, but sure, whatever. So Yurika's back on the Star Destroyer. Everybody's like, oh, great, this bitch is back. Oh, bleep that out. <laughs> it's okay. PG-13. PG-13 <laughs> is, is what we're aiming for. Yeah. And so we have a nice crisis of conscience with Eureka, who has a good point. Like, do I tell them what is happening with, you know, all this information? Or do I let Soren just go destroy it? Because they are worried that if they do, when the Republic starts, they're going to try all these people and, you know, send them to camps and stuff. So there's lots of thinking about what the right thing to do is. And then she decides to go ahead and tell Hera, all right, this is what it is. And so we devise a plan. She's going to go to Coruscant because we can't, at this point, Coruscant's still under Imperial control with Masamata. And so they aren't ready to do a whole full thing over there. And the whole fleet needs help over in Jakku over in the Aftermath books. So we split up. Now, at this point, Will has had his crisis of conscious and has decided I'm done fighting. I just want to go home. I've done enough sitting out of this fight, but I guess I'll stay on the Star Destroyer and help out with support. So our heroes that go to Jakku aboard the Star Destroyer get involved in that big final fight over Jakku and they have taken some of the radiation from the planet and they use it to kind of mess up the computer so that you can't tell who they're targeting and it's messing up all the other uh, Republic ships targeting. And so it can turn the tide of battle for them. Sanath goes out in his Y-Wing and he heroically shoots at the frigate. And there's a lot of talk about who died on both sides and they yell names a lot. It gets very Fight Club. It does. It's <laughs> very odd. His name is Shut Robert up! Paulson. This is all the way! His name is Robert Paulson. His name is Robert Paulson. In the heat of the battle, we're getting ready for the Star Destroyer that Hera is commanding to go shoot down the frigate, and Will is on it, and then Will shockingly and conveniently runs into our orange-haired person we've seen the whole time. Who would have thought? And even more shockingly, it's Blink, who Will talked to you know, throughout the books, and he thinks about a lot. And so Will introduces himself, and then she says, oh, you're him. I'm glad we talked. And then they hug. 
No, that is not what happens. She just throws a bomb at him and attacks him. So they fight, and Will is able to at least stop her from blowing up the whole ship. But she does a whole lot of damage to it, and it starts blowing up. So Hera then calls for everybody to get off except for her. She's going to ram into the frigate. Now, at the last minute, she gets it on track. There's nothing else she can do. She fights off a whole bunch of starships while Nath is flying around with the Y-Wings, and they're getting picked off left and right. Hera decides that it's good enough and she escapes in a total fan moment that got me really excited and gets on the ghost. And at this point, we get Jason Sandula's name, which is one of the most exciting parts of the book. Just his name. But we know he's doing good. We know he's alive. That's all I know. That's not good. We've got proof of life. So they're out there fighting and Nath helps to destroy the Freyat so they can win the Battle of Jakku. And then he's like, they ask, all right, were you going to come help? And Nath's like, nah, I'm good. And then he leaves. Chas too, by the way. Chas almost yeah, dies. Yeah, Chas right? almost does. Chas shears her B-wing in, into pieces and just flies away in the cockpit. At this point, we did good enough. She goes on a suicide run and at the last second decides that she maybe doesn't want to die. Again, another suicide run. It's not her first. Chas, throughout the book, is getting better. The more she doesn't listen to crazy mushroom tapes, <laughs> the less she starts to hear the voice in her head that she does the whole book. And at certain points, Chas is kind of nutty and can't figure out if it's her voice or Mushroom Lady's voice in her head. So at this point, she's doing much better. And when she crashes, she gets actually saved by Will's people who decide to come help on Jakku on their weird flying dragon things. Back on Coruscant, we got Soren flying down. We got Kairos coming on the U-Wing. We got Yurika in a brand new X-Wing, a fancy new model. They got to fight off a bunch of TIE fighters because TIE fighters don't want Soren there either. Because at this point, he thinks, well, I'm going to try to at least help all the Imperial people and not just the 204. So as they fight through, it's a really good fight scene, you know, weaving through Coruscant and all this stuff. And Eureka is still transmitting to Alphabet Squadron some nice pep talk and words of hope. Kairos hears it. And then one of the most awesome Star Wars moments ever, Kairos comes down and saves her, says, I forgive you, helps her get down. Soren gets down to where the uh, server farm is, basically. Eureka crashes down there. And then we have our nice, big, emotional sparring about what are you going to do? You know, Soren's going to blow all these servers up that will kill, I think they said 50,000 people because he feels for the greater good that's going to help. And he tries to convince Yurika of it and she decides she's not going to have it. She's seen what the Republic will do and she's going to put her trust in it. So then they fight and then her droid comes and saves her and then Kairos comes and helps and then Soren dies and Kairos decides, I'm not Kairos anymore because when I was in my weird whatever armor costume that was, that was a metamorphosis for my people. I was going to come out and be whole again and you took me out of that. Now my U-wing was like that and now I'm not Kairos anymore. I'm a new person. And then she just walks away. And that's the end of <laughs> Kairos. Bye. So Will then wakes up in an escape pod. He got to an escape pod and it lands on Jakku and then he's saved by some 204th members who say, yeah, we totally remember talking to you. And then they help him and bring him back. And so the fight is over and the Empire has lost. Then we get some epilogues. Hope you weren't happy for hoping for a super happy ending because this ain't your book. I, I disagree. I disagree with so that. So we have. <laughs> well, there's, like a, there's a little bit of sadness here in the end. Sure. So we've got, let's see, who are we talking about first? Well, first we get Mon Mothma and Hera. 
who have a discussion about how they're going to, if we've got to try Eureka and what we're going to do with, you know, all these names we now have and all this crap that the Imperials did. And they kind of decide, well, we don't want to start our empire that, or our Republic that way, trying people for the next couple of years. And we got to kind of slap her hand on, slap her hand, move, slap her wrist. So they don't let her fly for a while. They talk about how hard it's going to be to, you know, take care of the Republic. Then we get a little bit farther in the future, and we find out that Eureka and Chas are now a couple, and they run a burgeoning freighter shipping company. And Chas is still dealing with her alcoholism and possibly being like still kind of pulled back into cult stuff. So she's not doing real great. And Eureka seems really sad a lot of the times, but she's doing okay. And Will shows up and he is a senator. Also doesn't seem real pumped about it, but you know, they kind of, it's like a veteran after the war. And we get Nath who is going around and he's going to make a new crew. And so he is recruiting X204th members to be part of his little gang. And that's the end. <laughs> I think I got most of it. <laughs> it's all in there. I don't somewhere. feel so bad about my aftermath part three recap. Now yours was still better though. <laughs> his was done out of love. Yours was done out of confusion. <laughs> his, his was all excitement. Yes. Before we dive in, I just I found this clip on this really cool podcast. I wanted to play you real quick. All right, mm -hmm. just listen. I think that what she believes is the only redemption she has with her new family is to help them take down her old family. Huh. She is going back not to join them, but she's going back to make amends because she's not going to be welcome with them lying next to them. So she's going to try to take them down from the inside. It made sense. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. But what I really liked about it is they didn't make her a straight turncoat. Like, yeah, she's sending the signal. And yeah, she's, you know, she talks about that she's still helping them and she wants them to come be captured. But she's buying into a lot of what Soren's saying. There were a couple of times, especially in that beginning, I wondered like, man, is Yurika gonna flip back over? She still cares about those people. And and she cares about them more after going yeah. back to them and seeing that they have become a family like they weren't before. So it makes it harder for her. Mm -hmm. It does, but that doesn't change her intent. Yeah. She went there to take them down. Then she questions, you know, oh, should I be doing this? Wait, who's really right here? Well, and all I'm bragging on is the fact that you guys both <laughs> thought she had turned evil. You guys both thought she was going back to the Empire. I went back and listened. I thought she was going back to... She was going back to Soren, who is a part of the Empire. She went back for him. I don't think the book says that at all. I mean, that may be what it becomes, but she goes back. It says she goes back to destroy them. She yeah. goes back to take them down. To not finish to, not the mission. Him. At the end of the last book, she's going back for him. In this book, it's about... At the end of the last book is what led her here. She made the decision to come destroy them. That's what happened at the end of the last book. When we get to this book, she's now been reunited with him. And so, yeah, her, her feelings about it are mixed. And I totally agree with that. Well, I think what Beth's saying, they left it kind of questionable at the end of the last book. Like, well, she, yeah, she knew he was back. You know, this is her mentor who told her to leave. And she was kind of questioning, like... If he, if he went back, maybe, maybe I should go too. Yeah, and I think... She explicitly says at the beginning of this book that she went back to take them yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. At the beginning of this one, it does. I'm saying the last one. Yes, well, the last one was vague. And this, but the, what I'm saying is this was the answer yeah. to that question yeah. of why she went back. But I do think she started to... It did not change her mind. She, there are points she definitely doubts it. 
she has regrets. You know, I totally get that and completely agree with that. I just think like, yeah, she's playing double agent. She has a really tough time doing it because A, she's a terrible liar and B, she questions her own mind. Absolutely. Once she gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it, like Soren, I think he's really well written and I like his story because it is, all right, so the thing Soren does are, is terrible. I mean, he obviously does some more Operation Sender stuff and they destroy some planets and, you know, he tries to kill a bunch of people. But at the heart of it, some of what he's doing is that he's coming from a right place, I think, from where he knows and what he knows of the Empire and what he believes about the Republic. Like, he just wants to save people. And he's not on board with the Empire anymore, really, anymore. He's just kind of like, I'm going to go along with this until I can save my people. And that expands to, I'm going to try to at least help all these people that served what was the government. I was about to say, he he wants to save all his people and then he leaves them all to die. Well, but he justifies it. Is genocide ever really coming from a place of (laughs) trying to do the right thing? Willem Dafoe once said he always prefers playing villains in movies because everyone thinks they're righteous. Yeah. He thinks he's righteous. Yeah. No, I I get that. And he does. But okay, so one of the things I one things I love about Kindle is that I can highlight stuff rather than having to write copious notes. The task he had been given by Admiral Sloan was not the task Soren would have chosen, yet it sufficed. He needed the true empire to keep his people alive, at least until it doomed them all. He knows they're screwed. He knows the empire is going down. He knows the empire is going down. And he's thinking of any way out of it that he can try to get his people out. And playing along with Cinder is that way to kind of buy him time until he can figure out what exactly is about to happen. Here's my problem. He committed more war crimes to prevent other war criminals from being charged with war crimes. Oh, yeah. I didn't have any sympathy whatsoever. I mean, a little bit. I understood his thinking. But there comes a point in this book where I'm supposed to like really think deep about what he's saying. And I'm really supposed to question whether the Republic should have all this stuff. And I'm like, they're, they're war criminals. And you just showed that you're willing to do more of it. Like it did, it, it didn't work for me that part. He's an extremely charismatic monster. I just don't hundred percent think he's written that way. I think he's written to be sympathetic. I wish until the end. I don't, I didn't feel yeah, the same. I wish they had gone a little bit more into when he was, and I can't remember what his name was when he, left for a while. Devin. Yeah, Devin. And they kind of talk about it a little bit, like what he was like when he was Devin. And I wish we had seen that a little more. I think it would have added a little more to his character. I mean, I also wish Admiral Sloan was in this book, but you know. Kind of just wanted this to be a Hera book. One thing I had a problem with is in the book was I felt like he handed the series over to Hera. That, I did think that too. All of a sudden, Hera went from, you know, kind of your general in the background to a more active member. I would say almost the lead of the book. Mm-hmm. She's in it so much, and it's so much about her and her part of the Battle of Jakku and all these things. I was like, oh, well, why didn't you guys just give us a Hera novel? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very exciting when she got in the ghost. They had that really cheeky moment where Yurika was looking at the vehicle pool, and they're like, ah, oh, just this old VX100. Mm-hmm. I really liked it, so don't take anything that I say to mean that I didn't like it. But I just like it less than you guys. That's all. Let's talk about kind of the individual arcs, I think. It's the best way to talk about this book. Let's start with probably the the least good one, which is Nath. Oh, he's he's absolutely my least favorite character of the whole series. Nath is, here's what I think about Nath. Like, I, I think he plays as a good foil for Will. I know I the story that he, you know, he likes the attention of 
being a hero and kind of what it gets him. And then in the end, he's just kind of like, eh, never mind. I'm not going to actually do that and be that person because that's not who I am. Did you guys watch Rome? Yes. Yeah. He's Titus Pulo to me. Oh, good call. Yes. He absolutely is. That's yeah, that's a good parallel. But you know, like I, I kind of like that it's not that satisfying where he decides he is the hero. You know, like it would have yeah. been easy to in the end decide, like, yes, I am this great Republic hero. And instead we got a guy that was like, Nope, that's not who I am. I'm not getting paid anymore. I did my part. Deuces. He also decides to sit out the rest of the battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's that's di- that's different. It's different than him leaving after the battle. He he decides mid battle to call a timeout. Yeah, yeah, and I think I, I that part I actually I, I thought was interesting, and I I like that part of it. That yeah, he's not this big hero. He basically said, "I've done enough. I'm leaving," and talks about it. I could have gone back. Hopefully, they won't check where I went. Every squad has to have a scoundrel because it's Star Wars. There's got to be a scoundrel, and he is the scoundrel who is not 100% committed to being a scoundrel because sometimes he likes being the hero, but I mean, he just uses it to get free drinks and attention and and perks. So he doesn't really want to be a hero until he accidentally steps into it. And he's like, I was just trying to save Will's life. And now I'm now I got a medal. Shit. And I kind of like that stuff with Will, his relationship with Will. We'll talk about Will in a second. Yeah, I I thought that was good. I liked their, you know, where they kind of make up and they they come to an understanding, but they'll never kind of be like they were that there's that division with who they are as people well briefly yeah it's real fast (laughs) then it gets completely destroyed yeah it's it's real quick he gives him his droid he does give him his droid all right so let's go with chas i mean chas i think had more of the predictable storyline you know we knew she was gonna get kind of brainwashed by this lady and kind of buy into that i liked how far it kind of went that it took over her thinking and there were points where she didn't know if it was her thoughts or mushroom lady's thoughts and i kind of forgot that they had brought up and they don't talk about it i think they mentioned it once that she was her parents were in a cult and so this is you know kind of her background and where she's from and so she kind of gets sucked back into that yeah i think they expect you to just carry that over from the last book because they really don't mention it much in this one so if you didn't remember it, you are in trouble. Yeah, I didn't remember that. I, I, I think the opposite. I felt like they didn't go far enough. I felt like at the end of the day, at least narratively, there are no consequences for her cultness. It just kind of fizzles out. Well, she kind of went off the rails in the second book, so. No, I know. But I mean, in this one, as we come to the conclusion of it, like she's dealing with it, but it's such a big part of this book. And then it just kind of she has to talk with who she talked to, Will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it kind of fizzles, right? Like it just I don't know. I, I was I was waiting for a little bit more of a. a payoff i guess of that but yeah i think the intention was to not do that and i don't think she was ever like a member of the cult if that makes sense like she never really believed in all of it because she's so messed up like it's either drinking or then it's you know this cult and she has to feel safe and that allows her to can you explain to me what the cult believes that all right let's see if i can remember it (laughs) Because I I don't know. It believes in growing mushrooms on your face. They believe that Republic, Empire, doesn't matter who, they're all just war machines. And fighting on either side is pointless because they're the same thing. They just want to destroy things. And that there is only peace in the Force. And so you shouldn't be on either side of it. You should only love the Force and Mushroom Lady. That, that, That doesn't sound like a cult. That just sounds like a libertarian. Yeah, pretty much. 
I did like that Mushroom Lady was a total scam artist too. <laughs> that was the big reveal. Yeah. They like, yeah, yeah, she's not some person. She, uh, she's a scam artist who has been convicted of this several times. But yeah, I mean, I think Chas is just somebody who has been bounced around her whole life and never been stable, and so she grabs onto things. And I was indignant for her when she got in trouble with Hera for picking a fight with her ground crew. They were looting her ship. Yeah, making fun of her tanks. And she kicked their asses because they were messing with her stuff. And she gets in trouble for it. Which Which is funny because there are plenty of people who don't get in trouble for things they should absolutely get into trouble for in this book. Oh, yeah. Yes. Now, her and and Karo's completely abandoning their command, their unit uh, to chase after one ship. I would have put them in the brig for that. (laughs) Yeah. That's something you get in trouble for. There's a mention of them not being real happy about it. That actually really bothered me that they got off so easy on that. And it made me like them less. It it was an interesting, like decision to go off like that I, I went back because i didn't remember the first two books as well so i actually went back and listened to our episodes about mm-hmm. them and um one thing we talked about is we were questioning the credulity of whether or not they were able to tell who was in what ship by the way they were flying mm-hmm. and that moment entirely hinges on that of them like going i think that's Eureka. she announces herself yeah that's kind of a that's screw right. you to soren too right she's no but right. she's in a different ship at the time she's she's not in her fancy picked up on Sheev planet ship. Which really annoyed me that ship was only in this book once. Under a sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, that never went anywhere. It didn't. Yeah, you had this awesome Sith starfighter that apparently can like cloak and it's got bones on it and stuff. Not only that, we went through her whole journey in the second book to get yeah. it. Yeah. And then she loses it. Well, yeah, and it's just not a factor. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really She odd. takes it. She takes it to droid planet and then it's just gone. Droid planet. Oh, droid planet. We'll talk, we're going to talk more about we're going to talk more about that because <laughs> it was very similar to us to a segment in Phasma. Yeah. All right, so that's Chaz, and we'll get to the end of the in a minute. So let's talk about Will. Will is my favorite story in this whole book. I like. I really liked that he quit, and I think because it is a very like it almost reminded me of like those when you watch like a good like Vietnam War movie. And you get to the point where the character just wants to go home. And they say, I I just can't. I'm done. I just want to go home. But you know what happens in the Vietnam movie? Well. They make them go fight. Yeah. They don't get to go home. They They don't get to leave their friends. They don't get to abandon everybody. That is true. You know, we've had this setup for two books now of Will just keep saying, I just want to go home. When's it time to go home? When's it enough? And I think, you know, outside, you know, it being the last big battle of the war, I think that does go to your point that he kind of ditched him then. But I also think that, and they bring this up several times, they keep being told this is it. They keep being told the war is over. This will be it. Then we'll be done. Just wear your mask for two more months. And he just decides that that's enough. Everyone else has gone home and he's done enough. They're not just gone home. They're gone home or dead. Yeah, it's not that everybody's home but him. It's it's they're dead or home. I have no problem with him coming to that decision. I have a problem with him being allowed to do it. Well, but and I think Hera and, and I think as a character, like they're not the Empire. This is a volunteer deal still. And they say that at one point, you know, we yeah. this is a volunteer rebellion. This is, you know. Well, my other point is that staying on the Star Destroyer is still fighting. I don't care what you're doing on it. 
And he does. You're still, you're still fighting. Well, I think he was waiting to go home. He's waiting for a ride. It just hadn't, he hadn't got to his drop-off point to yet. Fight. He's, he, but no, he tells Nath. No, I'm not saying that. He tells Nath, but I'll be there to help people and all that stuff. I'll say yeah. in the starter story. That's still fighting. Being a medic is still participating in a war. But I think he's tired of killing. He he's, is. He's just seen enough. No, and that's absolutely true. And he's not a killer. But he's also on a machine that can kill millions of people in a, in a moment's notice. He is still part of a war that is killing people like that's my problem he doesn't get out of it yeah he doesn't absolve himself from killing people he's on a star destroyer you know how many people that star destroyer kills while he is sitting on it i don't know i don't think he's trying to absolve himself of killing i think it's just that he can't sit in that ship and shoot anyone anymore yeah and that's fair because he's used to flying around on these birds at home He's not a soldier. He's not a warrior. He's a flyer. Absolutely agree. Those birds are gone. He doesn't have them anymore. He's in a ship. He can't shoot. He has a chance to shoot down Soren. He does not because he can't because he's not a good enough fighter. Absolutely agree. And if I'm Hera, he's either in the brig or he's in a ship. Well, we learned in this book that Hera doesn't really like to throw anybody in the brig. I mean, she yeah. even puts Hera in and is like, and we're just going to leave the door. that was my problem with it my problem wasn't his character journey i totally bought that yeah i just didn't believe that anyone literally anyone in that entire galaxy would be okay with him bailing on them before that battle but i i agree with schweck it's every battle is going to be just one more and just this is the last one this is the big this is it well it's never it he's been doing this fight for a year that's one of the things i think i love most about this book is that you get those moments with Will, with Nath, whereas, you know, most, you know, hero Star Wars books or whatever, you're going to get that big hero moment at the end. We're all going to stick together till the end. And this book, you had people say, I'm not going to do it anymore. And I thought that was much more realistic and added a lot to their characters. Maybe if you didn't know Hera very well, you could be like, well, why didn't she do that? But I feel like Hera would understand. Yeah. She might be a little mad about it, but she would understand. I think that everyone's lives on that ship is Hera's responsibility. And Will is a leader and one of their, I don't know if he's an elite pilot, but he's a good pilot. I don't know. It just felt to me, militarily, it felt to me ridiculous that they would let that happen. Because you're right. Everybody wanted to go home after a while in Vietnam, most of them after the first day. Yeah. And they couldn't. Even if they volunteered, they couldn't. And so the fact that he's a volunteer doesn't, in my opinion, give him the permission to abandon his squad when they are in need of pilots. I just don't understand why it was okay. And then he's just wandering around the ship. It, that, that was my problem. It wasn't his character. Yeah. So let's talk about wandering the ship and the blink scene. <laughs> I want to give it to Freed. It would have been so easy in a book to make that blink and then for them to have a moment and her to be like, oh, you're well, we have this lovely conversation. I'm sorry, you're right, we're friends now. That would be your typical probably thing that would happen. Boy, was that not what happened. No. <laughs> and I liked it. Like, I liked it. And it wasn't even like a question. It's not even like they really had an argument. She was basically like, screw you, and tried to fight it. You know, it was a little convenient that he got put in the... um escape pod and they didn't really kind of go over how that exactly happened i think he said a couple yeah a couple yes. other people shoved him Some in dragged him in right but they didn't make it but they didn't make it out yeah and i kind of like the tag at the end that it was 204th members that found him and they were like yeah we totally know who you are come on come on buddy at this point he's already almost died once yeah so yeah. you can you can kind of let him go like See, that's what I was okay with. He gives up fighting. He's like, okay, well, I almost died fighting Soren. 
even though that was my own dumbass fault. And I almost did so multiple times, but this time I really got my ass kicked. So I probably should. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doubting his mental state or what he's thinking. I'm doubting the, the, I'm, I'm doubting the fact the that ramifications yeah. the, that there would be no ramifications of it. Yeah, like Nat, Nat, Nat should have strangled him. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. So yeah. let's talk about the Luke scene. Cause I know Chad, you don't like it. I do not. Oh, I like it. So what we're talking about, cause we didn't talk about it in the, in the story recap, we find out that Will witnessed the funeral pyre on Endor. I liked it. You know, it, I think it went more to his character and kind of the arc of how much sacrifice is happening in this war and that there's things that are bad on both sides and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like he was uncomfortable with it. And yeah, it was like, wait, this is wait, that's Darth Vader. But why does Luke look sad and troubled and confused and it makes sense to Will's character to stop in that moment and go, you know what? He has complex feelings about whatever's happening here. I don't even know what's happening here. Luke Skywalker's got some stuff going on that I don't know about. And there's more to all of this fight than just fighting, than just what I know on the surface mm-hmm. is fighting. That is all completely legitimate. I just don't want Nikki and Paolo hanging out while Luke's burning vader's body <laughs> get ready for special edition 2022 where you had that scene and you see will's face in the background <laughs> peeking out i 100 percent agree with everything you said except for this came out of nowhere i was like why did we have to drag this into here why couldn't you find another way to convey the same things within the story as opposed to out of the blue him all of a sudden saying you know i watched luke skywalker burn darth vader's body but it had already been established. It had already been established. He was on Endor. Well, I do sure. think it's odd that he's told a whole lot of Endor stories. And the one where he saw Luke Skywalker burning Darth Vader hadn't come up yet. That's a little off. I don't know. I, I could believe that because that's maybe something you don't go shouting to everybody. Is like, I saw Luke Skywalker burning Darth Vader armor. I don't know if the guy was <laughs> in it. I don't know what happened. But. I just don't like the fact that some kid like hiding behind a tree watching it happen. It takes a little bit. It t- <laughs> It does. It takes away the sanctity of the moment to me. That's all. Yeah, it, it takes away from the movie. Yes. It adds to this book. Also, yes. Now, I will say from now on, when I watch Return of the Jedi, when that scene comes up, I'm going to be like, Will's totally there. <laughs> He's peeking <laughs> in the woods. Yeah, and I don't. And that's the thing is, I don't want him to be <laughs> like that. So, yeah. Uh, and, and Beth, why? Yes, for this book, it makes it better, but it didn't for me. It actually made the book worse. Yeah. I didn't like it at all. I, I can absolutely separate that stuff unless it comes to the prequels, which are terrible movies, and I need books to make them better. This isn't just something. He didn't see Han and Leia arguing oh, in the know. hallway. This is a, a gigantic moment. It's one of the best musical cues that John Williams has ever written. It's a gorgeous moment. And then, so I was just off put by the idea that there was a kid watching from behind a tree. That's all. It just, it just didn't, it just, I just didn't like the imagery. It didn't feel right. I think also in my head canon, I'm going to have that Will was just sneaking off to take a piss. <laughs> and then he yeah. stumbled on this. So let's move on to old Carlos. I haven't had the audiobook for this one, so I don't know how you actually say her name. I like that it wasn't somebody that we had ever known or, you know, that it was kind of a mystery character. I kind of thought the blood, what did she call it? The, it wasn't a blood debt. It was a, the Yurika was now her blood or something like that because she owed the debt to Aiden. I like the thing with the armor that that armor protected her from this outside world that she had been taken to and that by removing it, 
they had destroyed her ability to go home. I think it plays really nice with the theme of the rest of all of these books that there's no going back from this. This war has destroyed all of them in a way. Do I think it's weird that she can stare at the stars and be like, yep, there's my home and hyperspace to it? (laughs) Yeah, that was a little much. Weird's a word for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Again, we don't know how hyperspace works anymore. That that is fair. (laughs) It's hyperspace is a mystery these days. Maybe. She is a chiz. She was a Skywalker. I, you know, I thought that for a second, too. I was like, does she have the Force? Do Skywalkers have weird plates on their faces, though? Well, no, but the plates were just part of her get better armor metamorphosis stuff, right? I can deal with the plates. I just can't deal with someone using their brain to fly through hyperspace like that. Yeah, that was a little much. Also, the plates falling off her face were kind of gross because they would talk about it like (laughs) you could see falling down. Oh, yeah. And when Hera was trying to bandage her up and Hera wasn't allowed to touch her and she's she's like pulling bits of shirt out of her plates like i found her culture i think that's interesting you know the empire showed up and there's these people that can't be exposed and she got taken no i liked it so since we're talking about her let's talk about the i forgive you moment which is one of my favorite things in the book that fight i could imagine really well yeah it was good but Karis, you know, wasn't really clear about what she was going to do and kind of was threatening to shoot her down if she did anything that was off. And then by listening to her, you know, does that I forgive you and comes swooping in. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, she gets a Han Solo moment. Yeah. I, I have I have a little problem with the fact that she's still communicating with them this entire time. That felt weird that like she's broadcasting to Jakku. You know what the story group needs to do? They need to sit down and figure out how communications works and how hyperspace works in Star Wars. <laughs> they kind of hand-waved it, that there was some satellites lined up. and They need to tell us how tracking works. They need to tell us how hyperspace works. Yeah. They need to tell us how comms yeah, work. They... Because every author just makes it up. Yeah. They were getting bits and pieces here and there because Nath and Will both heard them bits and pieces of their stuff. Yeah, but everyone's always jamming frequencies and jamming comms, and it's I, I couldn't figure out. I was like, how is this signal actually getting all the way to Coruscant? Look, if we don't know how hyperspace works, we don't know how comms through hyperspace work. I'm saying, we used to know, but now we don't, so now I need to know again. <laughs> <laughs> I, need to, I need to know what their new version says, because we used to know exactly, and they wouldn't have been able to do this in the old EU. Yeah, it just does. Yeah. So I don't want to talk about, just as part of their story, weirdo droid planet. <laughs> okay so you're telling me (laughs) that there's this planet where the droids have taken over Mm -hmm. and the humans are more or less slaves Mm -hmm. and we didn't make a real big deal about that like there was no surprise there was no like even the characters were just kind of like okay they have a big sign that says no meat no (laughs) masters and and everybody just looks at it it's like well all right yeah guess it sucks to suck i just thought of a whole planet of l3s and it made total sense yeah <laughs> which is kind of what i imagine except for creepy robo head coming out from behind the blanket i was like can we not go see that again there's a lot of imperial droids too though so i was picturing like at least a dozen k2so's walking around it's like westworld after all the tourists are dead yeah <laughs> they're still running a society and everything yeah, I thought that stuff was fine. I thought it was fun. I thought it was fun. It was just that it was like, wait, out of the blue, what is this? You know what? You write enough Star Wars, you got to come up with new locales, new cities, no new environments to put people into. You know, one thing that did bother me, and I brought it up in the review, like they have this big, you know, dramatic escape, and they keep talking like the droids are going to get them because they caused all this problem. 
And then you do get the one sentence where they're like, yeah, we just went and picked the beagle and back up. And that's it. How they got it? I don't know. <laughs> they just showed up and got it. That was an editor's note. Alex, we need we need to cut 20 pages. Can you just yada yada some of it? So on the planet, what did y'all think about when we found out what the messenger droids really were? I guess what the reveal was. I, and it wasn't a big reveal, but it seemed like there were a lot of mysteries around these things. Yeah. And then the reveal was kind of like, oh, okay. The thing that I really liked, it wasn't necessarily what the messenger droid was doing. It was what it re- represented, which was that Palpatine had been consciously promoting the most corrupt people mm-hmm. had consciously been festering rot in the empire it had wanted to compromise his people ethically as much as possible to make the imperials i thought it actually was a really interesting way of, of looking at the imperials mm-hmm. the entire structure is built to reward cruelty and corruption and that that's part of his plan to make these people into monsters so that they'll go along with him because at the end of the day he's like eventually they're going to figure out i'm a crazy old space wizard look at me yeah so i need them all to be so morally compromised that's not the sheev i know (laughs) but i need everyone to be so morally compromised that when i need to blow up a planet they'll do it when i need to exterminate a race they'll do it because at that point I've created a an entire empire of morally bankrupt people and that it was part of the plan, which I like. I really like there was a conversation between Yurika and Soren at one point where they talk about like this thing sought out the people that Sheev believed would destroy a planet and would do it for him. And they kind of have a conversation like, God, what does that say about us? Yeah. I like that character beat. That's not a night you go home feeling good about yourself. Yeah. If you ever go to a protest rally and there's people with you that are marching with Nazi flags, go home. Yeah. <laughs> and think about it. <laughs> Just think about what that means about you. <laughs> and it's not even that Palpatine decided these people were. This thing was basically calculating. Yeah. I actually wrote down in my thing, Palpatine is Google. <laughs> slash, you know, whoever, Zuckerberg, that they had this mass thing of data. I was against destroying it <laughs> because, again, I did have a hard time getting over the hump of not wanting war criminals to be prosecuted for their crimes. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I get that. And I get he's technically, I guess, the villain of the book. And I think Sorn has a good, like, thing he says about that, where he's like, yeah, there's these people that are, you know, the war, huge war criminals, like what he did. But then also, in that data is just, you know, some file clerk who put somebody else ahead in line, or, you know, did right. all these smaller things. And the worry is that the Republic's going to come after all of them. I'm so conflicted. He made a leap there that I don't get. Like, I don't know if you're on the Empire side and what you've been told about the Separatists and the Rebellion. And I could see it, like, believing that. I I look at its reflections in history and all I think of is that we didn't put Nazi foot soldiers from the trenches into the Hague. But there are people that wanted to. Fair enough. But we didn't. Yeah. Especially with something like the Empire. It's actually not physically possible. It would not be logistically possible to do what he's afraid of. And Mothma and Hera kind of say that. It would take us decades to try to track down every Imperial. And again, here's me still, despite whatever they want me, still want to think that some of our heroes are still good guys. I was not worried that they would do that. <laughs> you know, that I, did, I never for a second thought that that's what they would do because I just, I don't know. I want to believe that Hera and Mothma are good people. Mm-hmm. If not, then there does come a point of graying, which I, I like when things get gray. But there comes a point of graying where things all of a sudden, now you don't know what direction you're facing ever. Yeah. 
And I like to have at least a little bit of a compass, at least a little bit of a true north in a story like this. The New Republic shouldn't suck because they're going after the guy who cleaned the toilets on a Death Star one time before he got transferred somewhere lame. The New Republic sucks for so many, many other reasons. They're so busy sucking. They don't have time to go after that guy. I, I just felt that was a little bit of a leap on his part. That's all. Yeah, because Eureka, like, I don't know what her beef, what her beef is, like, because she's thinking about it, too, you know, and I'm like, you know, they're just using us. And I was like, I don't know, man, you killed a bunch of people like, you know, well, but if she was nobody in the treason camp, then she's just kind of moved higher up the nobody chain. She killed a bunch of people, but so did a whole lot of other people they got their hands on. So, you know, where does she fall in line with the people who done messed up? Yeah, and I agree with that. And that's part of the the gray of it. That's part of the the question of the book. And I'm completely open to all of that. I just, at the end of the day, I want to know that Hera is a good guy. I don't care. You know, (laughs) I I don't care. I don't don't care what the realism is. I don't care about (laughs) how psychologically complex it is. I want to know that Hera is a good guy. How long has it been since Hera's seen her son? that doesn't make you a bad person i'm i'm not i'm just saying star wars is a galaxy filled with not great mothers and i don't know how long it's been since she's seen jason and we know what happens when you leave your children alone right it's filled with a lot of bad fathers a few bad mothers but a lot of bad fathers before we move on past it i did like that when erica was looking at all of the things that the robot sheaves were counting one of them was called the mdc count and she didn't too. know what that meant. Just say the but words, they never you cowards. Explain. <laughs> yeah. They never elaborate. It's just thrown in there like a little like something called the MDC count and then just moves on. Never mentions it again. Filoni, I know you're listening. <laughs> Be a man. Say the word. Yeah. Say the word on Mandalorian. Say the word on Bad Batch. Say the word. <laughs> do we need it? Do we have to have it? Say the word. Don't be a coward. Just do it. <laughs> I know you guys just want to rip up the Band-Aid, but damn. So we talked about her a lot, but Yurika, she, I liked, Yurika had a lot of good character moments in this book. We talked about her kind of struggle back and forth with Soren while she was still feeding the New Republic info. But I like how he wrote when she was back with Chas and Karos and then back with Hera. I thought he handled how she faced coming back really well. And this kind of like feeling like, yeah, I'm awful. And all these people know I'm awful. I thought they let her back in too, too easy. I, I, you have to for the story. I get it. Yeah. It just felt a little too. I was like, really? We're already trusting her? I mean, I know they say they don't trust her, but all their actions are things that you only do if you trust someone. Right. I, I, I don't know. Like giving her a shiny new model X-Wing. Well, they gave it to her, but they were also like, yeah, you're going to go to Coruscant where the rest of the Imperials are. And I mean, good luck to you. You know, we're, we can't help you too much, but. Well, I like that she got a complicated happy ending, not just a, and she and Chas are living happily ever after. It's that she and Chas are in a weird kind of strange place where they're, you know, relationshiping it up, but kind of also they're in a weird place because Chas is still a drunk and Erica's still not sure how she feels about any of it. (laughs) She goes to her room and just shuts the door. It's like, all right. It's like, all right, (laughs) peace out. I will say I was surprised that everybody survived. I was very surprised everybody survived. Yeah. Especially for a book called Victory's Price. I was like, somebody's going down. The price is everybody but those guys. Yeah. Well, exactly. Like, you know, we haven't talked about it too much, but the, the Battle of Jakku, I thought, you know, Beth, you were talking about wanting to be able to visualize it. 
I liked how chaotic it felt. Yeah. I liked that I didn't know where I was at any given time. But you're right. The price of victory is the lives of countless others, but not our leads. They all come out okay. I mean, no, they don't come out okay, but they all come out alive. They come out alive. Yeah. You know, while thousands upon thousands, millions of people are dying around. This is only a trilogy. I mean, if this is the end, unless you're trying to leave it open for more books, you had so much open license to just kill anybody. And maybe they are trying to leave it open for another. I would have liked at least one casualty. But I don't know whose story is made better by dying. I mean, if you want to go traditionally, Nath. Yeah. And and again, it takes away what you like about the end of his story. So granted. He's also the one I like the least. So he's the one I could live without seeing again. But if you were doing a traditional arc with his character, then he could go easily. Yeah. I think Will's in the same boat. Will could have had a a nice hero death. Mm -hmm. With the additional tragedy of him knowing he wasn't going to go home. I played my little prediction from last time, but what I also predicted, though, was that Yuriko would um would end up sacrificing herself. That's the one I was surprised. I think if any of it would have been Yuriko. Chas, I thought, was dead for a second when she crashed her ship. Yeah. Actually, that's the one I wish would have died, and here's why. I thought that moment was really great. You know, she's always wanted to be generous, so she's always wanted to be a martyr. Yeah. She's going to go into this crash, and she wants to live, but she doesn't know if she's going to or not. And she does. And then you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, like, I almost felt like her journey still would have been complete. Like, she would have had a complete journey if she had been like, oh, I don't want to die right now. And still does. Yeah. That still would have gotten her to that place. The only thing I feel like would, was a little bit disjointed about that would have been, like, the second book, she or the first two books, she talks about Jen Erso and, and, you know, dying heroically all the time. And then this book, it doesn't come up again until you think she's dying. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, she's dying. Well, that's because she's talking about Mushroom Lady the whole book. Womp womp. Yeah. That's because we're dealing with the Mushroom Lady thing that I'm still not 100% sure what the point of it was, but, but we're still <laughs> dealing with Mushroom Lady, so. To give her something to deal with. That was my least favorite part of the last book, was the cult stuff. My enthusiasm for it was about the same level this time around. I, I agree with that. I thought Eureka might go. When she got to the end where she's like in that hallway with Soren and I thought they were both going to get injured and die together, you know, kind of go out. I think there are ways conceivably to kill every single person in this. I mean, there are legitimate narrative, satisfying narrative ways to kill off any of our lead characters other yeah. than Hera. He, he chose not to. And I that's got to be a conscious choice then. Oh. I mean, it's all a conscious choice, but he he, he has to be saying something. No, that's what I was going to say. I totally love that nobody got that big heroic death. You just get, yeah, now it's over and your life has to go on. And yes, you're kind of ruined by that. Except for Kairos. What's she doing? We don't know. She's somebody else now. No. And Nath doesn't show up for high school reunions anymore. <laughs> he doesn't. It makes a title much darker when Victory's Price isn't a person mm-hmm. that you care about. Victory's Price is a billion people. That you never knew who they were. And that's that's not fun. You're right. It's not. I just. It's dark. And I, I mean, I kind of like it, but, you know. I don't know if people know this, but uh, Lando was supposed to die in Return yeah. of the Jedi. Lando was never supposed to make it out of the Death Star. I believe the reason they changed that was to save the Falcon, not to save Lando. But the Falcon was not supposed to make it out of the Death Star. And the original concept was for there to be a legitimate emotional price in Jedi kind of feels the same way as this, right? Where like you had this big battle and you see all this violence and all of our main characters, they're just hunky dory and they're smiling and they're standing for a like Sears family portrait at the end of the movie. But you do get the Luke funeral pyre. 
You do. He's like, shit, my dad is dead. <laughs> like, I just got him back for a second. The only casualty that makes any emotional impact in the Battle of Endor is that one stupid Ewok. Oh, yeah. That's the only character in the Battle for Endor that gets a death scene. Oh, it's really sad that when the other one comes over. I know, I was going to say, like, when oh. I was a little kid, I was so upset. Now, in the, in the novelization, you know, hundreds of them die. Like they say, like hundreds of them die in the battle. There is a reference in this about, I think, about the Ewoks. Mm-hmm. And they say, like, you know, they lost they lost a bunch of people, too. You know, I think when he's talking about the loot thing. Yeah. At the end, he says that Ewoks lost a bunch of people, too. Jedi has that same thing. It's my same problem with Lord of the Rings. They all make it, except for Boromir. Every single other person makes it to the end of that story. To me, it, like, retroactively makes the stakes lower, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm just morbid. <laughs> with this, it was like, yeah, uh, so many people die. And the, the book is incredibly violent. If you actually think of what's going on, the book is exceptionally violent. Mm-hmm. It's not, you know, not as many heads rolling as last episode. <laughs> As, uh, as oh, yeah. uh, Lannery in her sword, <laughs> the sheer number of deaths in it. And, and and that's something that I'm actually uneasy with in Star Wars in general. We we joked earlier about planet destroying weapons. I think some people lean too much into the um, disaster pornography in Star Wars. Yeah. It's part of why Nath nopes out of there. Like so many people die. If I go back in there, I'm dead. Yeah. I'm okay w- with that as a character. If I was on his side, I wouldn't be happy. And I don't think you're supposed to be okay with it. I think that's the point. He's a jerk. That That is what makes the end of this book weird. Oh, it's what I love about it the most. You can't blame any of the characters because in, in that situation, what would you yourself do? Would I be like, um, good luck, suckers. I did my part. I am a natural coward. Bye. And I think you're right. It's intentionally kind of unsettling how uns- unresolved it is. Yeah. Um, not not plot wise, the plot's all right. done. Yeah, but Quell still killed a planet. Yeah, it's something she's gonna have to live with. Not everybody's super happy, you know. They're not best friends forever. Yeah, and none of them are really okay. I still wish that we had had like I don't know eight books with the Alphabet Squadron, and then this happened. I hundred percent am on board with that. Well, because they were only a team for like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I don't feel, I didn't feel as much emotional tug at their internal struggles. Well, no, the the whole betrayal thing seems overplayed because like, betrayal? I mean, you guys were together for like 10 minutes. Like if Hobby, after 12 X-Wing books, you know, (laughs) had like abandoned the squad or something, then then I'd be emotionally devastated. If it came out that Hobby had been... Yeah, blowing up planets. That would have been something. <laughs> They're not a team for the first half of the first book. They're a team for the like the first half of the second book, and then they get blown apart. <laughs> and they're kind of a team in this. I don't know. It, it just the, the end is supposed to leave you with this sense of like, we've been through so much together. And they have been, but it still feels like I haven't been through a whole lot with them. Right. I don't want to come across as negative. I did like this book quite a bit. Definitely more than the first two. I was mostly satisfied by the ending. A lot of these things I'm talking about be about being unsettled and stuff. They're not necessarily critiques, but they're things that are, I think, different than a lot of Star Wars books. And that can be a good and bad thing. But there were just some some logic leaps in that I didn't, I couldn't, I just didn't make with it. I, I couldn't make with the book at times. My biggest problem was that Jason Sindola's name isn't mentioned until 80% through... <laughs> The book. I looked at it. My Kindle said 80% when his name came up. And all it is is one mention one time. One 
time. You guys have no right to complain. I was 10% into the book when you guys wrote in the chat that I Forgive You was one of your favorite Star Wars moments. <laughs> as soon as you said it, I knew exactly what was going to happen. I knew exactly who sorry. was going to say it. Oh, sorry about that. That's fine. I don't care. <laughs> the Karos thing is still, I'm still not 100% sure what to think of it. I, I would have liked a little epilogue as to what she's up to after this. Just to yeah. give me some closure. But there is no Karis anymore, right? Like, right. Whoever she is now, whatever she is now, I would like the little epilogue. Mysterious figure even, walking away from some dusty cantina. Well, didn't they? don't they say in the epilogue that they've heard word of her? I think she does come up in the epilogue where they're like looking for her. Or maybe I'm just confusing her with Nath. Yeah, I think they just say they don't know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I thought I thought they just didn't know. Nath was the mysterious figure, space pirate. He turns back into Dash Rengar. <laughs> yeah. You know, get a crew together. <laughs> it's so easy to get crews together. Apparently, it really is. Can we? I know this is a Star Wars thing, but can we talk about the fact that don't they use backups? Were there no data backups in Star Wars? Look, they don't have flash drives. Sheev is very mysterious. And I'm just going to pretend those were Sith computers. They were very special. So no backups. This is another thing I'd like to add to the list. Comms, hyperspace. Data storage. <laughs> Data storage. <laughs> Sometimes I'm going to send you the information over the holonet. Sometimes we got to go Mission Impossible style and go to get a physical place to go get a bit of data or use some weird library system like on Scarif. Here's, here's my question about this too. Like, so he's, he's got all these names and what they've done. You know, I'm picturing it's like an Excel spreadsheet. How much room do we really need to save our giant Excel spreadsheet on? I mean, even if it's a billion people, there is no Bill Gates in this galaxy. <laughs> You're not going to have towers of servers. <laughs> You're not telling me Google doesn't have billions of people on right. file and everything about us. I, I think that's meant to be part of Star Wars, right? There is, it's not science fiction. Yeah. So there are certain things that are different. You know, the data has always been different. Why does Leia have to put information in a droid and shoot him out into space when, why can't she just, can't she just email it? Mm -hmm. But it's like so many of these things. And I guess we just have to let go of it eventually, but it, it gets inconsistent. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, isn't that final showdown between Soren and Erika a lot like the showdown between Jin Erso and uh, Krennic? A little bit, yeah. yeah. It's just a different relationship, but it's still very similar. So it feels, I almost feel bad for Chess that she doesn't get that showdown because that wasn't her guy. Because <laughs> she wanted to be Jin Erso. The chanting thing's new, right? Was that in the other books? What chanting? The chanting of the dead names. Yeah, that was new for this yeah. one. Because it went on a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, because before they, you know, they've got that one moment where Will tries to talk to him, and this one they talk a little more, and then they. Well, and it's it's a lot of people talking in this one. Yeah. Lines of people sitting there waiting they to get Radio bank. Free Europe. <laughs> yeah. On the Empire. Well, when you don't have Chas yeah, blasting her music anymore, <laughs> you've got plenty to talk about. I think the book plays a little fast and loose. I think one thing that um, we never, at least I never quite got a grip on, was the actual 204th. Well, a lot of them die, so they change out a lot. Yeah, I just, I just never, Soren is the only, he is the Shadow Wing. I feel like they kind of talk, and there's one point where they talk about that, where they talk about they don't see Blink, they don't see 
all the other names. And yeah, but that was just setting up for the Blink reveal later. Well, yeah. You kept noticing the redhead. I kept noticing him things, them saying, where's Blink? But they talk about, like, they don't recognize the other ones. The twins, they talk about, like, yeah, the twins out here, and it's that realization that they've been chasing this group that's not really a group. And I think that's kind of the chanting, too. Like, this is, like, the crescendo of, we're all sick of this BS. Like, this war has got to end. Let's wrap up. Let's wrap up Alphabet Squadron trilogy as a whole real fast. Obviously, my feelings on it are well known. Uh, I agree with Beth. I think each book got better than the last. Like I said, I'm a little lower on it than you guys, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it. And from what I said, you know, back at the beginning of the episode, like, this is what kind of made me realize, like, eh, I, I need a little, I need a little mythos. I need a little force. I need a little magic. At times it just felt, uh, I don't know. It, it, that's what felt missing to me. I mean, that's why I really got into the stuff with the, the uh, Imperial bot, you know, the Emperor bot and all that stuff. Like I was into that stuff because that's like Palpatine Sith Lord stuff. And I was a little disappointed that we spent a lot of time with the Sith ship thing. And then it had nothing to do with this book whatsoever. Um, uh, I don't know why he decided to abandon that, but that was disappointing. But I think all in all, it, it's really good. I think it suffers from me wanting it to be the new Rogue Squadron, and it took me a while to realize that that's not what they were going for at all. Uh, my main thing is that somebody better be planning on doing something with the character of Jason Sindula <laughs> for them to leave him out completely of this book, other than Hera at one point going, Oh, yeah, my son how he's doing he's like three like there's no reason for her to be there he's like not i'm old. not saying him being there it's like she's this is the most hero we've gotten in this book and she thinks about him maybe twice oh there are several references yeah there are several they don't say his name what she has to go home yeah. to they don't say his name but they they only allude to like oh she lost somebody I wonder who that could be. No, 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 no. They don't say that. They say that they say the Jedi, you know, the man who was his, who his, you know, my child's father. Yeah. Not until close to the end. Yeah, they don't say. It. Actually, she mentions him early. She doesn't say his yeah. name. Yeah, she never says his name. She says something about getting home to her kid early on. She says something about getting home to her kid, and she inwardly thinks, "Yeah, these are things I can't think about." Meaning, Kanan. I think Jason is like Ahsoka. Filoni is not letting anybody near that. That's what I'm saying. There's got to be some, somebody's got something in their pocket for Jason. I have an alternate reading. It was a neat way to wrap up Rebels. And that's all. I deny you. I'm just saying that that's, no, I'm not saying that's true. Yeah. I'm just saying that's my alternate reading is like, they came up, it was a little beat at the end. It's like at the end of True Romance, when you find out that Alabama and Clarence had a kid named oh, Elvis. Yeah. And then that's just how the movie ends. And like, this is like, this is just how Rebel ends. They had a kid to make you less sad, less sad about Kanan being dead. That did not make me less sad. And get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm just saying, it may not be the chosen one that you guys want. I to don't be. need him to be a chosen one. I just need to know about him. Who does Hera have him babysitting? Because I just don't see Hera dropping him off anywhere. Right. He's not with Sabine. We don't necessarily know that. So Sabine takes off with Ahsoka while she's got Jason in her care? Well, that's much later. That's going to be our wacky new show. Sabine having to take care of a toddler with force powers. I would watch the hell out of that. We just watched that. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was called The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. 
someone in Mandalorian armor taking care of a child with force powers? We already did <laughs> <Whoops>. that. <laughs> Man, I had a really good idea for a show for a second. <laughs> you, you did. You're right. It's a good, it was a fantastic idea for a show. Beth, what are we going to read next time? Well, we're going to read about a character who should have been a bigger deal in the First Order. We're going to read a book about Phasma, conveniently titled Phasma. I read the book, so I I actually know who that is now. (laughs) All I will spoil is this. Uh, The book made me angry that the people who made the movies didn't give one iota of thought to the character. All they needed to do was think about it just a little bit, (laughs) and they, they didn't. They just wanted to put uh, what's her name from Game of Thrones in armor. Look at Boba Fett from the original trilogy. Absolutely. But Boba Fett wasn't on the cover of Vanity Fair. (laughs) (laughs) He also wasn't in Game of Thrones. The thing that I like less than the New Republic is the First Order. (laughs) So we'll talk about that next time. And if you thought Brendel Hux was annoying in in Aftermath, just you wait. He's still better than his kid. Armitage is maybe the least likable person in all of Star Wars. <laughs> I'm the spy. What? You? We don't have much time. I knew it. No, you did not. But we will be back for all of that in a few weeks. So thank you guys for joining us tonight. And we will talk to you all soon. You have been listening to a Needless Things podcast. You can follow Needless Things on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at NeedlessThingsPodcast.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh. Roger, roger!